Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Conversations on the Coast, San Francisco's premier author interview program. Joining us today is Michael Collins to talk about his newest novel called Lost Souls, published by a Viking, or I should say, I guess, a Viking penguin. Is that the right way I should say that, Michael? I assume so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Library Journal said of the book, a fast-paced narrative combined with strong imagery elevates this thriller to a thoughtful examination of American life. And I, I think I'd like to start with that phrase, the a thoughtful examination of American life, because... As I told you uh, off air, I have a problem with lost souls, <laughs> or maybe it's just a so-called problem. It, it's that you have put before us uh, stuff that can't be explained. Your characters, for example, cannot be explained. They can only be experienced. Let's take, for example, uh, the putative hero of the story, Lawrence, a small-town cop, divorced, behind in his child support payments, and yet... You get us to care about him, and you care about him. Uh, yeah, I think that, well, plot and character go hand in hand, and I think uh, I've come to novel writing more as a person interested in character than plot, and plot has, has been a secondary to me. Okay. So when you say uh, books have to be experienced, I mean, that's why I have always read, you know, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. good literature, mm -hmm. uh, uh, really deep into the psyche of characters. And I think Lawrence represents something that is not often touched upon, especially in American society, but just the level of um, imminent failure that, that many of us live through, economic and psychological. Uh, so the book has often been characterized as, as dark or getting very deep into the, the psyche of the character. But, I mean, that's an, a, an essential component, I think, of me as a writer and as an outsider, a writer from Ireland or from Europe, mm -hmm, trying mm -hmm. to understand the American dream or the American failure, or just maybe it's just as ordinary and, and as plain as, as it is in Europe. But again, to answer your question, it, it so again the, the focus is more into the, the psyche of the characters. Yeah, and 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 what you say about Lawrence is really very true. One wonders after a while how the heck the guy is going to get up the next day. Because his his life is so you know difficult. Uh, I was going to say screwed up. It's not screwed up. It's just darn darn difficult. Now there's a there's a woman who either I would say either loves him or is his love interest Lois, and uh, I got exasperated with her because I thought she puts up with too much from him. I mean, she's a, a strange character in terms of her husband committed suicide. So, I mean, she was committed to a relationship where obviously the husband had cheated on her and had emotional problems. So I consider her um, a survivor. And uh -huh. So she, she is in that margin all the time where the people that she's involved with see her as a marginal figure, and she must uh, adapt. So there's a, there is an infuriating sense of, you know, why doesn't she... she, she uh, 
stand up to Lawrence. Not that he's vicious, but in terms of his complaining, in terms of his, his dourness. Uh, and so I wouldn't, at first thought, you'd think that she's been walked over. But again, I think people in their various positions in, in life are forced into certain roles. And, you know, there's always those notions of, you know, break out of your rut, do something, you know, liberate yourself. But again, maybe being the pessimist from Ireland, you know, I find that the course of people's lives is pretty much set in stone. And so she uh, is, is a figure that in some respects is infuriating. But again, I think a survivor, you know, she, she's not going to, 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 uh, to kill herself or do anything, but it's sort of stayed personality. That is a very good point uh, you're making there, that none of your characters, in, in this book at least, burst out of where we find them when we first uh, discover them uh, in the book. They're, they're kind of going to going to be there, and, and they're going to have different experiences. Right, and that's a strange notion of the expectation of, of, of uh, cultural expectations that I do find here that, that some of the people who will say, oh, well, you are a very good writer, but the sense of despair, the sense of, well, sameness, or again, characters who don't move, but yeah. stay in their situation. And I, I, I mean, from looking at reviews or speaking to people, it is strange that, again, I think this culturally uh, different from America is the notion of uh, in being sort of economically and psychologically trapped. And it's much more part of the European sensibility. So when people even read the books, that doesn't even really come up as, a, as an issue, whereas here it does. There's, there, again, that American dream or that sense of freedom, the bigness of the country, it, 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 oh, people always qualify and say, why can't this character do something more? Why, why can't there be change? Yeah, in this country, we always think there's another frontier, and beyond that frontier is you know, stuff that we've only dreamed of, and it's better than what we're experiencing now, we'll be happier, we'll be richer, right. we'll, and be, we'll be healthier. In the novel, there's that notion of where Lawrence does buy into that, where he buys well tapes, he listens to late-night infomercials, yeah. and he sees that supposedly there are schemes where you can buy houses with no money down, and that, you know, there's a possibility of him mm. getting out of being this small-town cop. Yeah. And so Michael, Michael we've got to stop there for, sure. for a break, and when we come back, we will get into the plot as soon as we hear these messages. You're listening to Conversations on the Coast with Jim Foster. Now you can find this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite digital outlets. Follow the show on Twitter at JimFosterCoc and email JimFosterCoc at gmail.com. This is Conversations on the Coast. I'm Jim Foster. Our guest today is the novelist Michael Collins talking about his latest book, Lost Souls, about which Michael Connolly, author of The Narrows, says, The biggest mysteries are those buried deep in ourselves. Michael Collins knows this in the marrow of his bones. Lost Souls is a haunting, searing, and elegiac treatise on the masks we wear. It is a totally absorbing and beautiful book. And it is it is all of that, but we also have to, for for the sake of our fans, say how does this book begin? Well, it it begins with um, a kind of a, a simple direct plot uh, on Halloween on Halloween evening. A child's body is found dead in a pile of leaves, and the main suspect is the high school star quarterback, 
And uh, there may be, it seems early on, the need for a cover-up. So that's the way it starts. And Conley, of course, is, is right. The biggest mysteries are those buried deep within ourselves. And uh, these are the things you, you seem to me to be interested in. I, I think in a way, Lost Souls, in Lost Souls, you're saying it, it's not so much the story I'm telling that's important to me, but what, what I'm really trying to, to say, what's really important is what I'm trying to say about small-town American values, morality, and that kind of stuff. Am I off base? And no, no, that's, and that's exactly uh, right. So in terms of, as, uh, as a writer, to go about doing that when you're mining something so deep, was to come with a story that, at a, a surface level, was very simple and, you know, really borders on cliché. I mean, a yeah, it does, yeah. quarterback <laughs> yeah. who's leading the school, the, the school to its best thing in 37 years, uh, you know, you, you're, you're treading water there. But uh, So I wanted to have simple characters. I really didn't want this to be Camus or, you know, existentialist crisis, but really just arrive at that surface level uh, existence of, of uh, small-town people, but then take it a, a, a level deeper that now we have uh, a dead child, a cover-up is initiated by the police chief, uh, by the mayor of the town, and they have specific reasons, both economic and personal reasons, for you know, putting something as tragic and as sad as, as the, the death or maybe murder of a child and hush it up, which I think taps into, again, not the depravity, but the desperation of a town that something like this could happen. And again, the genesis of the story comes through so many stories in America yeah. where we have the death of, of children, and the, that innocence, it, it just wrecks us when we, when we hear or see on TV something like that happen, and you say, how can a society or, or a town or an individual participate in something like this? One of the, one of the things that, that made me... Uh like Lawrence a lot, was uh, something he says early on, uh, looking beneath uh, the facts that we've just been talking about. Standing there in the cold morning, right, I, Lawrence, shivered and thought of that child's life, eclipsed like it was by our uproarious push toward a championship. And I thought how the central figure in all this was, at my bidding, hiding behind a football mask. Right. And that that I like. I mean, that's that's a moral sense to me. Oh, it is. Yeah, I think. He, I mean, one of the, the the things about Lawrence is that he understands the arc of the story. He understands the inevitable tragedy of what is unfolding. But can you stop yourself? Just, uh, surely, knowing something that you shouldn't do something, knowing how it will uh, eventually come out, can you still stop yourself from participating in something? Yeah. So he he uh, yeah he makes those pronouncements. Throughout the book, really, you know, not trying to hide the inevitable tragedy that, that lies within the book, but just almost warning you that, that, that this can happen to you, too. One of, the, one of the things that I think, unfortunately, you, you, you have right on is what's happening sometimes in these uh, high schools in this country where the principal says at one point, uh, this is not a, a place for education. This is a, is a high school which is a farm team for football players. And right. that, that's pervasive, I think, in a way. Uh, oh, you know, definitely. I mean, I actually went on, on an athletic scholarship to Notre Dame in Indiana, coming out from Ireland. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I 
was involved in sports in Ireland, but the quantum difference between American high school and college as well, you know, I really saw that the emphasis has, has been taken away from academia, even at a college level. Everything centers around the weekends, some of the smaller colleges around the notion of sports. And, um, you know, I think, again, Europeans are fascinated with that, and especially the notion of the high school. I mean, they have football teams in England, premiership teams, but how teams are... Uh, small towns can really rally around a high school and it becomes the central uh, focus for everything. I mean, everything in this book really revolves around the gymnasium. Yeah, it does. Pep rallies. Kyle, the quarterback's girlfriend, has a a tragic incident that again happens in the the high school gym, but it it is the vortex into which everybody is pulled. And it is facile, but that is the... That, that's the uh, the meeting point. Well, we have to shut you down again because it's time to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what Anthony Baudrain has to say about your book. He says a lot, and it's worth discussing. You're listening to Conversations on the Coast with Jim Foster. Now you can find this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite digital outlets. Follow the show on Twitter at JimFosterCoc and email JimFosterCoc at gmail.com. I'm Jim Foster. My guest today is Michael Collins. His book, a great novel, The Lost, not The, Lost Souls, no article, published by Viking. And a gentleman by the name of Anthony Boudrain, author of A Bone in the Throat and Kitchen Confidential, goes on this way about Lost Souls. No crime writer alive is hunting bigger game and doing it better than Michael Collins. He absolutely owns the vast tract of America's broken-hearted rust belt. What a great phrase that is, broken-hearted rust belt. Lost Souls is a mesmerizing, transfixing, near-Gothic horror that transcends all conventions of the traditional crime story, shattering in its precisely drawn portraits of terribly real painfully ordinary and desperate people who end up doing unimaginably evil things. Collins is easily the best writer around to whom the word crime can be reasonably attached and is so far out in front of the pack as to shame the entire genre. Then he adds one word, magnificent. And I I, I subscribe to most of that. I, I, I really do. I, I, I think that uh, you are hunting bigger game here that um, I, I don't know about your, your owning the broken-hearted Rust Belt. What the heck does he mean by that? <laughs> are, there, are, are there other books of yours set in the, in the Midwest? Yeah, the one that was shortlisted for the booker, The ah, the Truth, okay. has that. So this is probably the third in a sequence that uh-huh. has drifted around that same area and same time. But uh, what I do like about the crime genre, thriller genre, and, and just love that... I've, being able to have some type of rapport with someone like Michael Connolly and that is that they have done such a great job to keep books alive, you know, to, to uh, introduce the elements of suspense, mm-hmm. keep readers. And mm-hmm. I found as a literary writer and then really in search of a genre that when I started reading those books, I saw such a, a magnificent space that I could inhabit. And I think that the, the genre is, is uh, strong enough that you know, you can come in with your murder mystery and you can also equally inhabit it with a sociological tale, a psychological tale. 
you know, it doesn't have to be slashers and murderers, but that you can balance both things. And I think, you know, as a, a, a kind of writer twice born writing about Ireland originally and then... Uh, yeah, and then, uh, and then about and then coming this over country. to the American novel. Sure, sure. It has really... Uh, you know, I, I feel a lot more gratified when I finish the book now mm-hmm. that I've at least uh, given a reader uh, two things, a story plus things that are deep to my own heart. One of the phrases that uh, Boudrain uses that uh, I like uh, when he talks about your book, he, he talks about near near gothic horror, and and the notion that I got about halfway through the book, I think, was that th- th- there's stuff going on here, and it's going to keep going on because it's out of the hands of the people we're talking about, and it's it, it it's in the hands of something or someone else, and that. I think is somewhat the definition of like you know like tragedy or or, or horror. So right. it 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 goes. I mean that bounces it out of out of crime. I think in a way. The bounces out of crime. It it, it would. Um, well, I say that's what I'm looking for is to to use the the crime element originally, but then leave you know just the the going after a suspect and then have it the, the mind of the characters to figure out what what exactly why is this happening? Is it because of one person? Again, we have that sense that history or, or particular uh, epochs seem to go by, and they just seem to have a, a weight of their own. So the Columbine stuff, you know, it just repeats over and over again. And no matter how many times we we try to stop those tragedies, yeah. they somehow have are deep in the psyche of people. And when the the narrative starts, people sort of take it to its, uh, to, you know, to its extreme. So in this book. It seems that uh, I have a bloodlust. You know, there's a lot. There's a big body <laughs> count, but I think yeah. if you read it, you'll see that each, in each murder, each action, uh, there's an inevitability, and it's not in any way uh, grand, grandiose or gratuitous. That there's a, an element that you see this could happen no other way than as it's unfolding. Though well, I quite agree, and that's why I thought in terms of a tragic force, you know, pushing things on. Uh, not, not not people sitting around plotting uh, to commit a crime or plotting to do something evil, but uh, but because these are uh, ordinary people, uh, as uh, Boudrain says, ordinary and and desperate people who wind up doing unimaginably evil things, and that's like the guy next to you in the in the supermarket. Someone else has said uh, a cross between Blue Velvet and Mystic River. Mm. Blue Velvet has the, a kind of strangely gothic or surreal edge. Yes, it does. But then with that, so I think sometimes if you can get close to the bone, if you can abide by realism and, and you know describe things in minute detail, it, all of a sudden that kind of realism that you're looking at can kind of shimmer and, and have a very gothic quality to it. In other words, kind of reality and realism when it's fully portrayed. Uh, isn't mundane and it actually can have a, a, a terrible face to it. The other thing it, it, it has is it, it has a quality of staying in your mind, sticking in your memory, and that's what Lost Souls does. Lost Souls is the new novel by Michael Collins. Go get it. This has been Conversations on the Coast, and I'm Jim Foster. Now you can find this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite digital outlets. Follow the show on Twitter at Jim Foster COC and email Jim Foster COC at gmail.com.